Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Hello to YouTube. We are talking all things Bermuda Championship, Lives Team Championship. That's in the books. Lots of stuff happening on this Sunday. Hit the like button. Make sure you're subscribed. We'll get started right now. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman. Joins tonight first by Mark Immelman. Mark, good to see you. Hey, sorry, I didn't even realize Liv was on the go. I've got to pull up my leaderboard here on my laptop. No, kidding. We're all good. Uh, <laughs> you've got time. That'll be in the C block. So you've got uh, you've got time to get your your live takes all fired up. Well, you got to you, you got to understand. In my house on a Sunday afternoon, when the Falcons are playing, and then I'm going to be watching golf because um, I've got to be on the show, which is fun. And so I'm toggling between the two. And I'd given up on the Falcons because the guy scores like some stupid 60-yard touchdown. I'm like, ah, screw it. And then they go to overtime, and I switch it off. I'm like, I'm done with this. Then I switch it back on just to see what the final score was, and they won. I was like, what the hell? (laughs) uh, It's a good day here in the Edelman house. (laughs) Yeah, they they certainly survived. That was uh, so far the best game of the week. Greg Ducharme is here. Gregor's good to see you. What's going on, boys? Uh, Excited to be here. Excited to talk a little Bermuda, a little live team championship. Interesting times in the in the game. But how about that Seamus Power, Rick? That was something else. My God. You know, he is – it's it's sickening, right, Greg? Because you know that I was just completely out on Seamus. This yeah. Guy that has been like my heart and soul. Like I love this guy. And I was like, man, this is not the week for Seamus. He goes out and wins. So it makes me look a fool. But I'm, I'm stoked for him. I'm happy for him. Well, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing. Does it make you look a fool? Because on one side of the coin – well, you you wanted to fade him, but on the other side, you know he's a near a very near favorite, and you know he didn't quite fit the bill as a chalk player, but he kind of did in a way. So I find that very interesting that another you know the at least whether he was favored or not, he was the highest ranked player in the field, and the highest ranked player in the field goes out and wins again, and it's just this really interesting trend that you have been all over. And it just seems to be continuing so far this fall. Yeah, I would have said, looking at the field list, I wasn't on the preview show with you guys, but um, I, I would have said he was the class of the field with respect to everyone else. And then just the way he hits it from wherever I've watched him. I mean, he's a big, strong guy, and he's got big, strong legs, and the wind's not going to blow him around very much. And, and he hits it heavy, man. That golf ball growing up in Ireland, it cuts through conditions. And so I would have said... If I got to lay a bet, I would happily laid a few uh, a few shekels on him, but sadly I didn't get a go. It would have been one of those scenarios where I would have been better off without seeing the data, right, Greg? Because yes. we, on Monday we were like seven straight events in which he's lost strokes on approach. But to Mark's point, the reason that Seamus was even on my radar was that event in that Corn Ferry event in Las Vegas where it was howling, forty mile an hour winds, and this guy's ball was not moving an inch. Right? It would have been it would have been better if I if I closed my eyes, did not know what his stats were leading into the event, re went into my memory bank of that uh, Vegas event and said it's a it's a Seamus week. Yeah, the, you know the there was a lot that said it wasn't a Seamus week, but we did also talk about on Monday we compared Seamus to Patrick Reed last year who was in a very similar position where he was hitting it terribly and all of a sudden came to Bermuda and it worked. And I think sometimes playing in those windy conditions like this can get a player who's struggling with his golf swing uh, a little more imaginative. You got to hit shots. You can't play golf swing. You got to hit. And and I think Seamus did a really nice job of that. Obviously, he did a really nice job with a lot of things. But I, I think that's kind of the this recipe sometimes when a player is struggling with their ball striking, they can get a little bit of a different point of view because they're playing in conditions that they're not used to, uh, at least for the, the re- they're, they're at least conditions that are different than what the recent form was. 
So sometimes add, it, it's, it's a way to get them back on track. And I would add to that, you know, when you've got wins like they had where you, in many cases, sort of throw the yardage book out the window and you've got a number of uneven lies all over the show, You uh, form guides go out the window because you can get on the wrong side of a wind gust and get a ball rolling down a hill or you get a good break or two and the greens aren't that fast. So you can uh, – that to me sort of levels the playing field a little bit all the time. So – you know, when you get wins like that and you're not really looking in the yardage box that much and you have to create, to your point, I, I feel like that's where, you know, it's anybody's ball game. Seamus Power, 19 under par, a one-shot victory over Thomas Dietrich, though that does not tell the entire story. We'll get to that in just a second. But this is uh, a big win for Seamus because, Greg, we talk about it all the time, going from the first victory to the second victory on the PGA Tour is a massive leap. The 2021 Barbasol already on the resume for Seamus now adds this one. It's kind of that validation win and tries to push him further to his own declared goal of making that Ryder Cup team. Which is a very interesting goal. Um, I, I was, I, w- I wouldn't say I was surprised to hear that. I think it's a, it's actually not surprising to hear that. But he's an interesting thought. Is Seamus Power going to be a part of this Ryder Cup team? And um, you know the Europeans have a very strong top end, but their depth seems to be the question. And we've been looking for that young player to come up and kind of fill the void of the you know Poulters and the Garcias and the Justin Roses and those kind of players who have been such for such a long time staples on the Ryder Cup team and they seem to be in a way missing out on that kind of group but you have a player like Seamus Power come out and start playing really well a player like Sepp Straka coming out and playing really well and if that can continue you end up with guys who have that that PGA Tour experience you're not taking a long shot on a guy who's playing on the DP World Tour and the stage is vastly different. This is a stage that is, of course, different because it's the Ryder Cup, but the players that they're competing against have a tendency of being uh, very similar. I know this wasn't a field loaded with Ryder Cuppers, but um, but throughout the year, if Seamus is to make the Ryder Cup team, he'll definitely have played really well against some of the best players in the world, against many of those guys who will be on the Ryder Cup teams. Yeah, two things. Uh, first off, you know, this was a weaker field and people can say that and reference it. But the truth is, you still have to go out and play well for four rounds and win. You know, just because you're the, the best ranked player in the field, that doesn't mean you're going to get the trophy at the end of it all. So that sort of speaks to what he has. And then to a part of the Ryder Cup thing, there was a stage last year and, and you know, Carl Porter makes a number of comments I find amusing. And on this very show, he goes, oh, well, uh, Seamus Power is the best Irishman in the field right now. And that Rory McIlroy happened to be in the field too. And I was like, yeah, okay, Carl, I see what you're trying to say, but that's ludicrous. But, you know, in a funny sort of way, cloaked in the humor of Kyle there is a very astute point where, yeah, the Rory is the guy, even though his game was off at the time. And Seamus is up and coming and turning heads. And there was a stage last year where he was leading Pebble Beach by a street after two rounds. And I had him in the third round and it wasn't so good, but he still was impressive. And playing there on the Monterey Peninsula, it was gusty, it was windy and stuff. And I looked at this guy and I'm like, you know, he really doesn't have a weakness. He's just low on running time on experience and now with a couple of victories uh, playing over there in, in in the olympics you know getting all these international runs if i was luke donald he would be high on my radar right now i don't know where the rankings sit right now but but Seamus power to me almost seems like he should be in the team yeah i was just you know, looking at the rankings sorry greg i'll throw this to you here in yeah. a second. but just looking at the rankings they just started qualifying at the bmw pga championship which was uh that first week of september so there's still basically 11 months of qualification to go here yes and you know Seamus, a win obviously goes a long way, but there's a pretty cool aspect to his game when you look at his career and the development. I find it so interesting because, Rick, you go out and watch him play in person. And the thing that you're um, that that kind of stands out to you is his ball striking. You know, Mark says how heavy that ball is, how much the wind doesn't affect it, how I mean, that's that's the sign of a ball striker. Yet you look at the numbers through his career and his strength is really his short game. 
uh, and uh, arguably the putting as well. I mean, the last couple of years, the putting has gotten really, really good. And so you combine those two things together and now you have a complete player with no holes. Um, and, and so I, I almost wonder if that full swing, um, the, the ball striking abilities that are there haven't really taken shape on the PGA tour until the last couple of years. Uh, and, and I don't see anything in his golf swing that would say, uh, well, he's just hitting it. He just hit it well last year and that's going to go away. I think that's going to continue. And you have his, you have his short game and his putting ability to boot. And you're looking at a really dangerous player out there. My assessment of him, to your observation, Greg, is that for a big guy, because he's like six foot two or so, and, and he's strong, as I said, he does he hits it solidly. He doesn't hit it very long. Uh, but to me, I, I w- if I was giving him like a, a the, the character assessment, I would say the iron game is solid. He hits irons really well, and he's very cerebral. I, I, I'm keen to hear your observation about the short game there, what the statistics say. But to me, I feel like those numbers are probably good because I've never really seen him hit a stupid shot. You know, when he misses, he's missing around the wide side of the targets. You could see as he was coming down the stretch here, he hit the right club all of the time. And, and when he makes birdies, it's because – it's been a situation where you can. Now, I know that sounds a bit trite, but uh, oftentimes you don't see him go and get rash with some shot, shot selection. So he hits the ball well. He's, he's long enough. The iron game, to me, is something to pay attention to. And and just the decisions he makes are just uh, are high octane. He's got a really good golf IQ, to use a bit of a golf cliche. Yeah, speaking of some of the decisions he made uh, coming down the stretch on Sunday, Greg, because it wasn't all roses and daisies in this final round for for Seamus Power. Here are his final six holes of this event. He bogeys 13, gets it back on 14 by making a birdie. Bogeys 15 and 16, gets one of them back by making birdie on 17. Then bogeys 18, still enough to get the job done. One shot clear of Thomas Dietrich, but he did have to hit a couple of shots that... He weren't great. He kind of had to take his medicine at times and, and do what he had to do to get the job done. Well, 15, first of all, he made it. I, I didn't see what he, the bogey made on 13. I missed that. Um, but on 14, he makes a really nice putt for birdie from about 20 feet. Then on 15, the 15 kind of embodied the day uh, uh, that we saw with all the wind. I mean, you're talking about a 412 yard par four. And he misses his tee shot to the right a little bit. It doesn't get down the really steep embankment. It stays up in play, which is a nice break. But I mean, think about a 412-yard hole on the PGA Tour in a typical week. That's a driver and a flip wedge, a three-wood and a flip wedge at times. And he's coming up 50 yards short on his second shot. Now, it's in the rough, but not deep rough. You can see the entire golf ball. It comes up 50 yards short. And that just, it speaks to those conditions. So he makes bogey there. And then on 16, he hits a, I thought a great shot, but you can't challenge that back hole location. He's got some 60 feet, 50, 60 feet, something like that up over a little ridge. And he three putts it, um, which is well within the range of probabilities. I mean, it was a really long putt and it's really gusty winds. Uh, you know, the that that green on 16, one of the coolest on the property, kind of an infinity green, and it's so exposed. Uh, and and the wind was strong enough to where it really, I think, ha- it played an effect on, on the putts. And then 18, he has a two-shot lead, so I give him a little leeway, um, even though it was probably a mistake. He had, he had a great third shot from short of the green. Man, that, that, from the fairway, that wedge you hit was awful when you got a giant... Yeah backstop behind that flag the only place you don't miss is short now this is after i've given him the glowing report of hitting the smart shot i was interested because you hear karen stupples go well the wind's coming in off the left so there's some hurt in it you got the backstop and the swing he made from 87 yards looked like a chip shot and we got a glimpse of the base of the golf club and it was still sand wedge i'm like dude you got to get lean on this thing a little bit because if you hit it long you're okay and right point that that pitch shot he hit after that was that was quality given uh, the situation right then. Yeah. The final leaderboard is going to show that Thomas Dietrich finished second, but for the vast majority of this day, gentlemen, it was a two horse race between Seamus Power and Ben Griffin. Uh, Griffin went out and played his first 11 holes five under par. 
Uh, he was kind of in the driver's seat. And Greg, listen, uh, Ben Griffin's got a great story to get back to the PGA Tour. He is not nearly the first guy who struggled to to win a PGA Tour event. He's certainly not going to be the last, but he makes bogey on 12, 13, 14, 15, double on 16. Yeah. If you're a if you're a scratch golfer and you're a loan officer, you're looking at Ben Griffin thinking maybe I can go give the tour a run. Um, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> okay. Because Ben Griffin's really good. And he had a chance, you know, he plays at North Carolina. He's playing with the, as he said before, he's playing with the Schefflers and the Morikawas, and he's competing with these guys, and he knows he has the game, but deals with a little bit of burnout, uh, ends up going back to get a job where he can earn some money. He's sitting at a desk as a loan officer. And then he accidentally uh, realizes that he's in a U.S. Open qualifier and goes and qualifies. This is a local. He gets into the sectionals, and I think he missed the U.S. Open by one shot. Uh, And he kind of started to think, well, maybe I should give this another run. And he ends up getting a sponsor, um, somebody who had played golf with for, uh, who was running a company, decided to give him a two-year sponsorship. And he tries it out. And here he is on the PGA Tour leading an event after 54 holes, uh, leading an event after what, 63, 63 holes, um, 65 holes, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and all of a sudden it just goes sideways for him. Um, but a big, a big learning ability. You know, I, I always look at these 72 hole events as kind of this race. And there are players who can, everybody makes it a certain distance where they're, they're in the mix for a certain amount of time. And he was in the race for a really long time. And then things eventually get away from him a little bit. But I, I think there's a lot of positives that he should take away from this. One, he made the right decision to leave the loan officer job and go back to playing golf. Um, but but two, there's a there's a real chance that he can compete out here. And even though he lost control of his ball a little bit and the windy conditions really exemplified that, uh, I think he's got a lot to be proud of. I have two observations to your point. Uh, first off... What you saw out of Ben Griffin today was the case for 72 holes because we're going to talk about live later, right? And think if the PGA Tour or major championships were a 54-hole deal, how many major championships Greg would have to his resume? Norman, is <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and here's the thing about this because um, I'd never seen him play and I thought the story was so cool. I mean, I was I was drinking this in on social media because – you know, this is this is what we all dream about, right? Everyone who's listening to this, all of you guys, we've all had dreams to play on the tour. And, and then you dream of playing on the tour. And then, you know, you practice that putt to win. And then when you get out there, you realize how hard it is to win. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in contention. Then you find yourself in the lead. And the biggest battle is to, to stay in the present because you start projecting just so quickly. I don't care who you are. And some golfers are brave enough to admit then they go yeah you know i was thinking ahead i was thinking about the prize and the check and the fedex cup points and all this sort of stuff and the exemption um but what you saw there with ben was two things to me um there's one thing that doesn't really jive on the pga tour and that's a ball that hooks fast and and you heard lee trevino say that way back in the 60s he goes you can speak to a fade but a hook won't listen and, and I saw a few shots there. We're starting this thing right, and you've got some crosswinds, and this ball's moving pretty big through the air. And it caught up with him on those holes that were down the cliffside where he missed one left on that par three, that signature par three hole. So I'm sure he'll iron that out because, you know, this was a big learning day for him. But I also saw a guy where things started to move really fast for him. You know, he made a couple fives and then he made that double on the par three. And then all of a sudden he looked like punch drunk for a bit. And if someone just could have said like, you know, time out, let's give me just a minute here to pull him back. Because it's amazing in that place when you played so well for 65 holes, Greg, you what, 22 under or something like that. And then all of a sudden you feel like I can't hit a golf shot, which is just not the truth. It's just the situation. And so I feel like you'll look back on this going, Wow, 
you know, I sort of took leave of myself for just a little while, and that was enough to get steamrolled by a few guys in behind me. So um, I feel like when he gets a handle on that draw shot a little bit, when he learns to hold that, stand that thing up a little, and now that he realizes, hold on, I can hang with these guys, he's going to go to the next event with a whole bunch of confidence. And I hope he can parlay that into it because it could could turn into one of the great stories. But it's on him not not to look at this as if to go, oh my gosh, I failed and I couldn't hit a shot when it meant something. Because the truth is he could. He had just lost the mental handle for a minute and was too far ahead of himself and too far behind himself. So every shot that was on hand coming down that stretch over there, it was so hard. And he just got tripped up by the situation. The, the skill is stopping the spinning. Right, Greg. Like it's the it spins for everybody quickly. Some guys can stop it more than others. I don't know if that's uh, you're getting back to your routine or if you can realize that you're in the moment and you can kind of forget about it. I'm sure it's different for everybody, but being able to stop the spinning quickly is is the real skill set that you need. Yes, <laughs> and look on a day like this. <laughs> on a day like this. If, if you're just a little bit off, the ball is going to move a lot faster than you're used to seeing. Um, and and conversely, if you hit it really solid, like Seamus Power, the wind doesn't really move it all that much. So you have this this really fine line between a well-struck shot and a slight, a slight miss that leads to a really dramatic difference in where the ball ends up. And that's not an easy thing for anybody to handle. So you got to have confidence. You got to make a decision. Am I going to play for a miss? Am I going to play for the perfect shot? And that balance is, is a tricky one. Um, but I, I do think when he's playing in, some more normal situations, he would, he would be able to stop that spinning a lot sooner. Um, Now at the same time, the other guys are probably making more birdies and less bogeys. So it's, it's all relative here. Um, But you're right. That is a skill set, and it's something that everybody has the ability to do. It just, it takes a little while of of learning and you got to learn how to trust yourself and believe that you can get yourself back on track and these are the situations you, you this is the only way you can figure that out when you're in the moment in the arena with a chance to win um, and and so i i do think he he will learn from it you're on you're on mute mark <laughs> i promised myself because i had to cough i promised myself i wasn't going to do that but yeah we are i'm one over par um <laughs> your take there is just so good greg because Look, yes, uh, I, I'm a part-time golfer at best right now. I used to be decent back in the day. And I played 18 holes on Friday afternoon. And I'd been hitting a few balls here lately, and everything's going in the right direction. But there were just certain situations when wind out of the left, trouble down the left, and I'd be, oh, I'd have the shot visualized. I knew the swing thought. I showed the rehearsal, the whole thing. Everything that was practiced was done to the top of the backswing, midway in the downswing, like, whoa, and then you just bail, and like, whoa, and you hit this freaking Roman candle off to the right-hand side. <laughs> it flies off and dies. It's terrible. And, and I kept on looking at this going, this, Mark, is actually a lesson for you when you call golf because the, a golf swing might only last an eighth of a second from from swing back to contact. But your mind goes so haywire during that time. And you can so quickly, you know, doubt yourself and not have the faith to go ahead and trust the fact that, hold on, there's trouble down the left, but I can still go ahead and hit this thing. And that's why I feel like the situation, to your point, Greg, with all the trouble down the left and his ball wanting to go left and crosswinds, that was just a horrible time of it for him to be in contention. Uh, T3 for Ben Griffin. It's worth $317,000. Seamus Power going to move to the 32nd ranked player in the world. And we're going to add a fourth to the conversation. It's Kyle Porter, who we will bring in right now. KP, welcome in. What up? How's it going? Do I have the static? So far, so good. It's done good. I'm always terrified. Uh, interesting day of golf. Uh, you guys probably haven't gotten to live yet, so I'll, I'll save that. But uh, Seamus Power is, you guys obviously already discussed probably all of this, but I, I think it was a reminder that he's been pretty good over the last year or two, kind of quietly good. He's, he's hadn't done a ton at big events, played well at the majors. He's had good finishes at the majors. And, you know, just looking at his numbers, even he's kind of been in that, 
he's, he's been pretty similar to Jordan Speed. I think he's, I think he's a candidate for the Ryder Cup. I think, I think it was, I thought it was cool that he went out as one of the favorites of this tournament, Rick, mm-hmm. and and won it because that's that's hard to do, right? We talk about that with guys like JT and Rory all the time. It, it's still hard to do, even when it's a lesser event. And he went and did that, and I thought that was pretty impressive. Not only the favorite, but also the shortest odds he's ever had in a tournament. Mark, did you want to jump in on that? No, I just wanted to say, Kyle, I actually referenced you while you were writing your editorial <laughs> because there was a time last year when both Kyle and, uh, pardon me, not Kyle, Seamus and Rory were in a field and you, you were like, yeah, Seamus is the best Irishman in the field. I was like, oh, there we go. That's Kyle Porter. Well, He, pr- he probably was at the time. <laughs> Yeah, right. yeah. I'm trying to think when that would have been. Seamus had a really good run from Sony to Pebble Beach. I'm trying to think of what event that would have been. Was that was that in 22 or 21, Mark? No, it was last year because I I'm 52 now. I remember it, so you know I don't remember that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like f- just firing off a few. Just, just, just like, keep 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 Rory honest every once in a while. Just just fire off a few takes at him. And he is from Northern Ireland. True. So, it, it wasn't, it was a little like <laughs> geographically misguided. <laughs> you get a couple of caveats in case that ends up backfiring on you. Um, the rest of this leaderboard, Greg, I mean, pretty interesting, right? Thomas Dietrich's been playing great all over the world. Patrick Rogers always plays great in Bermuda. Kevin, Yu posts his best finish. Denny McCarthy in the mix. I mean, this, this kind of shaped up. I mean, you know, when you look at some of the other favorites, Dietrich, McCarthy, Seamus Power, they're like three of the top four favorites. They all finished inside the top six. This leaderboard shaped up pretty well. Yeah, considering the event. I mean, it, it was, uh, as we were looking at the DraftKings leaderboard, or, or uh, you know, the slate, whatever you want to call it, on Monday, it's all the, all the top guys right up there near the top. Mm-hmm. So very few misses. And then you add Kevin Yu, who we said on Monday was the most mispriced player in the field, and he stepped Steps up, so it's everybody you expected to step up did, which is pretty cool. Uh, I like to see it, and I just it to me highlighted the trend that you have been talking about for a couple of months now about these favorites starting to show up and starting to get near the top of the leaderboard more and more and more often. And if there's ever an event where that wouldn't happen, this is that event. Be- for two reasons. One, the top of the the top of the board isn't as strong as it is in a typical event. And then you add in the conditions, which tends to kind of level the playing field a little bit from a skill set uh, skill set perspective. And it didn't happen. The the leaders, the cream rose to the top, which was pretty cool to see. Uh any other sorry mark no i just wanted to say a quick quick look i want to go and watch thomas dietrich play because what i see that it is attractive looking so i want to see it in person but i just want to speak quickly to kevin Yu because i met him for the first time at the palmer cup um when he played on my international team and he and alex del rey were both playing for arizona state at the time and uh the two of them were thick as thieves and, and just both fantastic young golfers lots of aggressive you know style and it was so fun for me because we were at the phoenix open and they were close to graduation so i got a text from them they're like hey we'd love to see you so i'm like how about dinner so we have dinner on the saturday night just down the way there from the the golf course and the two of them basically said to me we're going to turn pro now what's your advice and i looked at the both of them i'm like you're both good enough you've just got to keep things in perspective you know, there'll be ups and downs and and just don't get too far ahead of yourself. Manage your time well, all those sorts of things. And, and I remember the both of them sort of looked at me and they listened and they were waiting for this earth shattering stuff. And I was like, honestly, the way I've seen the two of you play, I feel like you are good enough to compete at the highest level. And Alex Delray has done beautifully over there in Europe. He's won a few times on the Challenge Tour. And yet Kevin Yu is proving who he is. So it's just so nice to see these young men come through because – this time from going from college stud to, you know, finally getting to the big stage, it it is emotional. And so many times these stars get sort of lost in the wash because they don't get into events or they play poorly when they do. And so to just see these guys come through and then play well when they've got their shot, it's just so meaningful. And it's part of the storyline that, you know, I wanted to talk about because a lot of folks don't really ever talk about it. You know, they get to the big stage, then, then they're spotlight gets on them and they fade but the journey there is such a big deal so i'm happy for kevin 
uh, yeah, all these guys are big fish in a little pond and then they go to the, uh, the big pond and, uh, they're not so, not so big anymore. Um, okay. Here's what we're going to do. We'll quickly go through our wagers and then we'll hit, uh, live. And what we're going to do first, is take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back. Okay, we can put a bow on the Bermuda Championship with our first cut moneymaker challenge. So very, very quickly here. Um... We had a couple of winning wagers. KP, your matchup victory, uh, it wasn't pretty. No. Because they both missed the cut, but you win Mark Hubbard over Adrian Moronk. Is, is that how we've always done matchups? I, I was trying to remember that. Yeah, we've done it in a way that, um, yes, it's it's based on on score. Unless, for whatever reason, like if one guy miss, makes the cut but ends up having a horrible weekend, that's obviously not going to hurt them but yes if both guys miss the cut we go to the score and hubbard gets the victory here okay um yeah that's great the russell knox he you know he shot i think he shot 64 on thursday and i had him as top 20 so i was like okay be competitive here you know thursday was an easy day uh but he just kind of faded as the week went on so i was disappointed by that but uh glad for the the hubbard win over moronk I did the thing, Greg, where I picked the matchup against the guy who ended up winning. Uh, yeah, which is That's not tough. usually ideal. In this case, it was Aaron Rye. I I got it back with a three to one on Kevin Yu to finish inside the top twenty. Didn't give him enough credit. Would have cashed the top five bet. Right. I mean, I love the Kevin Yu play, and I, I like the top twenty play too. I mean, he's uh, like we said, he was probably a little underrated coming in, and his his pedigree as a college player outshined what the expectations were. It's like under the rate, the superstar out of college that's kind of under the radar. Um, so I under, I totally understand the top 20 play and it probably took away a lot of sweat. Um, you know, you're watching this thing cruise in like, all right, that's a, that's a win. Check that one off the box. So I love that play. Uh, I had Shank and Shelton as my two outrights, which if go- this golf tournament was 36 holes, I would have been really happy. The rest yeah. of the uh, did not go so well for those two. And and, and Patrick, uh, I think he was telling us it's been, what, 24 days since he found a winner. I think you can extend that to 31 days. That's uh, four losses across the board for Patrick. No winners yeah. in October. The whole month. I don't think swept for the month. Yeah, that's I, that's that's not good. That's more trick than treat, I think. Yeah, <laughs> the Nick, the Nick Taylor, the Will Gordon, Nick Taylor thing was pretty close too. Right. So Will Gordon had like a three shot lead, and then he played. He went like bogey, bogey, double bogey, coming in and and blew that one for him. Yeah, I think that's I, called I, a Ben. That's called a Ben Griffin. I think. <laughs> tell, Patrick from, tell Patrick from me to bet Hovland inside the top 20 next week. He can get himself some green on that board. That's probably he's, like he's probably minus 800. <laughs> bet it anyway. At least you win it. He's probably going to fade him in a matchup. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. Um, okay. Do we have the standings for this producer, Troy? Give a quick update here for those following along at home. Yikes. They're, they're I'm. Patrick is killing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing great, but I'm, I'm kind of just, Patrick's making me look good, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Thank goodness for Patrick, for for your sake, Kyle. Kyle, your Sia made you look good in the one and done. And now, so like this is this is as long as you are uh, not the what do they say not the slowest gazelle, right? As long as Mm -hmm. you're like that's right, second slowest gazelle, you're good. Well, that's true. I, I don't know if it makes like, you look good. <laughs> if there's only one lion, you, you can be the second slowest. If there's more than one lion, you need to be like the... It's like an N minus one situation. Correct. Mark, are you happy that you are not on this sheet at all? <laughs> Do you like that, Greg? And, yeah, N minus one. Didn't think I'd hear that today. Kyle, <laughs> I, I, I need to send you a video of how lions hunt in packs. And, and all the females hunt in a typically two or three of them go for one. One will get the kill shot, but then they all move in. So... 
uh, I think if you're the third slow, second slowest gazelle, you might get away still. Don't be okay. the smallest gazelle. That's the thing. Yeah, Patrick has like a broken leg, I think. I think he's he's in some trouble. <laughs> it's not even lions. The vultures are circling, I believe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. On, on Patrick. Hey, plenty of, plenty of time. You know, I mean, look at this. He's four for 31. That's like Jose Altuve. <laughs> that's, that's not good. Sorry, Patrick. I love you, bro. It's not great. Uh, Moneyball. Will Gordon ruined Patrick's uh, bet, but he stayed just within the top 40 <laughs> for me to cash this one. Minus 110. Patrick had Callum Taren to finish as the top GB and I at plus 600. That whiffed KP off to a really good start for Russell Knox. 66, 67 out of the gate. You added yeah. inside the top 20, went 72, 72 on the weekend. Yeah, he was bad on the weekend. It, it uh, I, I, yeah, this was kind of tantamount to my Tom Hoagie bets from Zozo and CJ Cup. I, I like the top 20. I like the guys that are a little bit on the front like they're not i'm not you're not betting superstars there you're, you're in the russell knox tom hoagie territory just trying to find somebody that's either gotten hot or plays the course well or whatever so even though he lost i still uh, i think it was a uh it, it's a bet that i would make again okay um that concludes our betting recap for this week we will turn our attention to the live team championship that went down and finished uh well, just about an hour ago, if you're watching live. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. Live golf season in the books. They ended with the team championship. So on Friday, there were match play matches. On Saturday, same thing. And on Sunday, Mark, they switched to stroke play for the final four teams. And the favorites win it all. That's the four aces. That's the team of Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Taylor Gooch, Pat Perez, a historic live golf season for that team. Probably will never be matched again. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't watch it, so I can't really comment. I looked through the leaderboard and he told me it was in the third block. But, but the one, my, only, my only take from all of this is I didn't watch any of it, but I watched social media. And it's amazing how guys that never, ever tweeted when they were playing on the PGA Tour are now tweeting. I mean, some of them are giving interviews. Phil's coming back to do announce work. I'm like, holy cow, these guys are all in on what they're doing over there. And I, I, I have to commend Greg Norman and the folks paying the salaries to get them to do this sort of stuff because I find it's curious how every single one of them, to a man on Instagram, is talking about, oh, what a great first season. I love the concept, the new concept, the business model. I'm like, golly, guys. I can see you all got the same song sheet. Let's at least get a bit creative how you put the social media stuff out or at least dribble it out a few weeks at a time. Anyway, to the golf, I love the fact that when I look through the leaderboard, how all four guys counted. You know, I, I appreciated that. Yeah. Because um, I will say as a, a recovering college golf coach, there's been once or twice where we well, we play five, five and four count. Uh, but there was once or twice in my career as a coach where one guy would go down and you're living on four. And whether he withdrew, in my case, or whether someone uh, just was like dead in the water early and was always out of the scoring, it, it, it's, it puts an added element of pressure on everyone else because people know how things are going. So, so I, li I, like the, I like the concept. I like what looked like how this final round, this, this championship Sunday was set up. Uh, do we have that tweet from Sean Zock, Troy? Do we have that? Because I think this is what's 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 most interesting is is, is kind of what happens next year, right, boys? Because um, the, the season's done, and 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 Sean Zock from uh, Golf.com, right, Kyle? He's at. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, has a tweet out about about this presentation that Live Golf and the execs made, and uh, the way it looks like it's going gonna, it's gonna to run here, Greg, is, is the new season will go from February to September, so we are about to enter a six-month period of, of no Live Golf, and I think that this is kind of an interesting time. Um, how will they stay relevant if they will what changes will they make right they've got eight events in the book are books are they going to make any wholesale changes like what's going to happen next i think is is quite fascinating yes and there are um look i understand where they are i understand that there are going to be a lot of changes uh, but you're already seeing one. I mean, it's it's the end of October and they just played their final and now they're going to end in September. 
Um, and I, and I think they learned a lesson that the PGA tour learned a long time ago. That is, well, football is, uh, quite popular and it really hard to beat. <laughs> uh, so I, that, that makes total sense to me. Uh, I'm the, the ownership of the, of the teams is possibly interesting for some of the players from a fan's perspective. I'm not sure it really matters a whole lot. Um, and, and again, there's a lot of ways that this can change, but you can tell it's clear that they're still going all in on the team concept. You're seeing the substitution of players as well, uh, which I guess in their eyes opens up opportunities to add more players. Should they be interested? They had reported their problem was they had players who wanted to get deals and they didn't have enough room, whether that's true or not. Uh, I don't know, but this seems like, well, we'll open up some more spots for some more guys, um, which is an interesting concept, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some big changes from them, uh, constant changes. And I can understand that as they're going into their second year, uh, being in operation. And I don't think they got the results they were hoping for when it comes to the viewership. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely expecting some changes, uh, some new concepts and some new ideas out of them going forward. I think the player pool is a problem. Um, so you've got 48 now, Kyle. And if you go to 60, which is by my estimation, every team adding a substitute player, where did the 60 come from, right? We've talked about this idea of constantly having to harvest from the PGA Tour or from the upper ranks of the amateurs or guys just coming out of college and just turning pro, constantly having to grab those guys or else you run into a situation where Shergo al Kurdi plays Dustin Johnson in the semifinals of the richest golf tournament ever to be played. He got torched too, as he should. He just got. <laughs> anybody, I mean, just. I mean, DJ would have torched anybody, but like you, you. This guy has played fourteen events ever. That can't be what they're going for. Well, and it and it highlights. So I I think if I'm being objective here, and I don't want to be objective about live, but I I will try to be for a minute. <clears throat> I thought they had a really successful 2022. Based on, I mean, even going back for my normal sport research and looking at some of the things I said or other people said in January, February, March, it's like, you guys are clowns. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they pulled off this season. Now you can say, well, yeah, they did it with $780 million, which is true or whatever the number, I think Bob Herrick reported it was close to 800 million, but you don't like you still have to do the, you still have to put the, put the league on. You still have to like do all the stuff. And I, I actually thought they did a better job of it than any, not anybody, but most people, most of us imagine they would. But I, what I don't know, Rick is so two things. One, I don't like, what's the path forward. Do you just run it back with the same crew we saw in that other tweet and and I've seen other research that's like, Hey, the numbers are not, not only are they not great, but the trajectory of them is even worse than like what I I sort of don't care what the numbers are because it's so new, but I do care about the trajectory and the trajectory is not good. Right. Right. And so do you, do you sign a Patrick Cantlay? Do you convince a, do you throw like a $2 billion at a John Rom? Like, and I'm sort of joking, but also sort of not. How do you continue that, whatever momentum you had in 2022 into 2023? And then the, the second thing that I wanted to say is I'm watching this play out. I, I've got two screens up. I'm watching Bermuda on one and live on the other. And I'm thinking about, Bermuda with Seamus Power getting into the Masters, putting himself on the map for the Ryder Cup next year and all these really meaningful things. And then I'm watching Liv and it just is so vapid. And like, I I don't know, Rick, what I'm rooting for there. Like, am I rooting for like a bunch of guys making a ton of money today at Doral? I I don't know that that's something I want to root for. Um, I I think the first season of any new league is always going to be kind of weird and and you don't really know like what's going on. And so I think because of that, the character you're rooting for the characters. Well, I'm not rooting for Pat Perez. I'm not rooting for Patrick Reed. Like the, the, like they don't, they don't have anything to 
latch on to. The team concept's great. I, I am in on that. So maybe I'm rooting for team concepts. That seems like a really weird thing to root for. But other than that, they don't have anything that you can latch on to and say, man, I really love, like I genuinely love that. I, I, it just is all so like soulless and weird and silly. And I, I, I don't know. That was kind of my takeaway as I watched it play out on Sunday. If if I if if I may, because I I've always tried to stay away from this thing a little bit for obvious reasons and for employment reasons and stuff. And but I will say this: I've been on PGA Tour ranges talking to PGA Tour players about this league. And right at the outset of this all, there was this kind of this mystery about this new league. And the whole thing was the money and how many events are they going to be and what are the expectations and stuff. And so you could almost say, well, dang, so many millions of dollars is going to cover up for the potential of what might or might not happen. Now, the PGA Tour players, the, the top guys, they've been watching this stuff too. And to Kyle's point, they're like, really? Okay, this is just one massive money grab. And at certain players, the Cantlers or people you might highlight to say, let's ramp this thing up. Let's make this more alluring for the fan to watch. They're just not interested. They, they, they've got bigger things to play for because they – look, the money is incredible. I don't care who you are. But it, what, the top 20 guys or whatever now, this new little group of players that are playing in these elevated events in the Torah, none of those guys really need the money is the truth of it all because they make – what they make on the course is probably a quarter of what they make in total. So so everyone's sort of seen the thing now and they're like, oh, I don't know so much. Let them go do their thing. We'll stay on the tour and just see how the whole thing plays out. Yeah, and I think I think that's that point is like, okay, who who else is is going? You you can't it can't just end know, here. Yeah, I've heard of anyone. If you're live, you can't you can't just end it here. Otherwise, it just sort of fizzles out over the next three years and then it's over. Yes, you you, you have to get to a you have to get to a tipping point and there maybe they will, but I don't really think they're that close right now. Well, well, yes, this thing, uh, again, I've referenced my college career twice on this one. <laughs> maybe I need a glass of wine. Um, the, yes. The one challenge about being a college coach is recruiting no matter what the sport is. And then the other challenge when you have a limited budget is like, okay, what do you give the kingpin? And then what happens if the next kingpin comes along when the current kingpin's getting X? Now do I have to ramp that up? Because then DJ or someone's going to say, yo, this is not right because he's got another two years on this contract right now. So I'm keen to see how long this endless pit of money or this, this well, it just seems like it's going to infinity, is going to continue to churn out dollars because if they want to pick up the people that they need to right now, they're going to have to get up in the largest way. And I'm not so sure that the operating budget, whatever it is, if there is indeed something, is worthwhile. Because if you go start to say, okay, um, I don't know, but Roy's not going to do it, John Rahm, they're going to have to give him so much money, it's going to be stupid. And then what are you doing to the current guys who were supposed to be the captains of the team, the teams that you currently have? Well, and then the... the Real quick, yeah, uh, go, Greg, ahead. go ahead. The, that that New Yorker article, I think Mark said they were funded, I think through twenty twenty five. Yeah. Now, that I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that accounts for having to pay John Rahm a billion dollars or whatever, but that that was the number that was out there. And and um, actually, funny you mentioned that New Yorker article because um, I, I think there were some things that were really revealing in that. Um, and one of them is that the real intention, and I at least had questioned this for a long time, what's the real intention? And it does seem like there's an intention of this to be an investment of this to start earning dollars and generating revenue. And the truth is the only way they start earning revenue is if people start watching. And I think over this past year, while they've acquired a number of new players, they've acquired a number of stars and they've generated kind of a media frenzy. Um, they haven't generated viewers. And there's this path with, if you look at a American business and, and how the private equity works, which I'm far from an expert on. In fact, I know very little about, but basically there's a, a period where, um, where 
these investors will pay for growth. Uh, and then there's a point where everything changes and they're looking for profit. So it goes from, there's kind of this cycle, as I understand it, where like the Netflix and all these companies are generating all these new users and all this new growth and their pay, their valuation reflects that. And then all of a sudden it shifts and it's okay. Well, now we know that you grew, but now we need to know that you can monetize it and earn dollars on it. And I, I think for live right now, they've proved that they can recruit uh, at a very high cost. And at what point are they going to start recouping some of that money? And if they can't create meaning and they can't get people behind it, watching it, they're going to have a very hard time doing that. Um, and and I, I think no matter what their next influx of players looks like, if there is an influx of players, uh, I'm not so sure it matters. I mean, is Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley are rumored to be the next guys. Are, are people going to change their daily routines for Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley? I I highly, I highly doubt it. Um, So they've been really focused on the players. And I think that there are obvious reasons for that. Um, But I, I don't think that they've been successful in converting that to viewers, which is a really big problem if your intentions really are to make money. Well, that's such a good point there because what I have heard too, and that was the last conversation when I was out on the golf course, which was, uh, goodness, um, to a championship maybe, um, where the big deal where they're all angling towards is the sales of the 12 teams. And if you look at what you were going out there, that 75% of the teams owned by Live or whoever it is, the holding company, and 25% by the players. Now, they're looking at team sales, and apparently there's a few golf organizations that are interested in sponsorships and stuff like that. So those are, those are big hits. Those are like billion-dollar deals. But the truth about that, too, to what you say, Greg, is like if I'm Mr. Adidas, I'm like, sure, I'll sponsor the Niblicks or whoever, whoever Martin Kama plays on or DJ or someone. But where's the return on my investment eventually? Because there's only so much of this that you can claim back for tax investments and stuff like that. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's curious to see how this whole thing's going to go over the next little while. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Mark. I think that's, I, t- I 100% agree. Miss, you saying, if I'm Mr. Adidas, I'm going to sponsor the Niblix is not a sentence that I ever envisioned here. <laughs> but I do think their sort of out card is if you just find a couple of, and I, I mean, billionaires do weird stuff. But if you just find a couple of billionaires yeah. and they want to own a team that Phil Mickelson's on or that Brooks Kepka is on, and then all of a sudden Liv has this ridiculous revenue source from a billionaire that's just doing like this vanity purchase uh, and and that would be that would be frustrating because it's it's not it's not a real thing right it's just a ridiculous like uh, vanity play mm-hmm. and I do think that's a possibility though for them over the next couple of years like you look at the premiership or or, or- football over there in Europe, right? Kazoo and these companies spend billions of dollars on sponsorships of the teams because they get that money. They recoup that money in, in, in advertising dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I made the joke about these guys tweeting and Instagramming and stuff. If some billionaire buys some team, you're going to watch those four boys on that team hopping around the place, playing all over the joint with Mr. Billionaire in question. And you, they said they wanted to play less golf and have less commitments. Oh, my good golly. They're going to be tweeting like it's going out of fashion. <laughs> <laughs> the, the revenue thing is like, I mean – I, I don't know what their revenue numbers were this year. The, they could not have been in the seven figures. Right, Rick? I mean, they gave away tickets, uh, um, which would have been, in theory, a good revenue stream for them. They have no television deal, which would have been a, a good revenue stream for them. I guess they sold beer at these events. Uh, like outside, I, don't, I literally, like, what other, did they have ads on anything? Did, like what other revenue streams did they even have? They they had that one ad in Jetta, but it was a company that the the public investment fund also uh, yeah, funds. It's a, so it's a sponsor. It was, it was golf, like us. Saudi. It was, it, it was like us promoting our first cut merchandise, basically. Uh, right. So yeah, I, they probably did make seven figures of revenue based on like concessions or gear. 
you know, all that high flyers gear that was just flying off the shelves. But they were giving it, they were giving away caps apparently in Miami. I saw that. I saw that. I, I don't know. The, the, like it's just a weird thing to not create or generate any revenue at all, right? We talk about these Netflix and Uber and stuff, and it's like, yeah, the math doesn't work profitability wise, but the, it's not like they're generating no revenue, you know, right. and live is generating nothing. And, and so you're like, well, that, uh, yeah, there is a path to sustainability, but it's a, it's a pretty long one as it stands right now. The team sales makes sense, right? You get, you get somebody to yeah. pay $150 million for a franchise, like in any English premier league or whatever, but that comes with guaranteed payouts because of these TV deals. And depending on what league you're in, you're getting a, a share of that revenue. It comes with, you know, Jersey sponsor. It, there's just so much other stuff that to say any of these teams is worth really anything right now outside of the names that you have, which could be changing <laughs> is a hell of a stretch. I mean, you have the names to generate viewers. That's the idea. And when that's their, that's the purpose of the names, Right. We want big name players because people will want to watch them. And if people don't, if the names don't convert people, normal people to turn on the TV or the computer or whatever to watch these big names, then those dollars invested become worthless. And maybe, uh, sorry, I might be thinking a bit micro here, but you know, each one of these players, I notice a lot of them still have their equipment manufacturer deals and they're still wearing the apparel and stuff, which I found somewhat surprising. Um, but let's say I'm Cam Smith and I wear Munsingware, the Penguin. And now my team gets bought by Adidas. Now everyone on Adidas is going to wear Adidas shoes, Adidas clothing, and use tailor-made clubs. Cam Smith is not going to be the Cam Smith he used to be, I promise you. And so, so that's where you get into the the micro weeds of this thing too. If some like Srixon come along, because there has been a lot of conversation about them um, getting after perhaps a Japanese team. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it is curious when you really start to delve into the nitty gritty of it all. Rick, you know it's going to be just sick is when halfway through 2023 you've got a player i don't know who i can think of a few names that is unhappy with how live is going and they try to leave live or try to sue the like live golf and then you've got it going both ways and like i i genuinely think that's going to happen at some point i don't know if it'll be in 2023 but it's going to be incredible when it does because you'll just yeah, it's going to be just a complete mess whenever that happens. That is a really good take because, you know, these golfers, they talk about themselves as independent contractors, freelancers. They can do business with whomever they want. As a sponsor, unless you're Rory McIlroy or Tiger, where Nike basically buy you out and you can't wear anything else and talk about anything else, that's there's very few of them. So one guy's got a badge here and apparel there and shoes this and stuff like that. You're putting ostensibly all of your eggs in one basket here if you're doing this sort of stuff. And, and Carl, your point is so well-founded because now instead of them getting little bits of money from all over the show and doing corporate outings here, now it's like you show up for the live events, you wear your live uniform, you play in the live tournaments, you tweet about, you know, it's it's like this is who you are right now and your identity as your um, independent contractor has gone away. The final thing, and we can put a bow on it with this, Greg, because I imagine the next um, – four or five months until there's another live event and everything that's going to, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to be talking about this a lot more is that they're going to this 14 tournament schedule. Uh, they are trying not to, they won't obviously play same weeks as, as major championships. Uh, they don't want to go up against marquee PGA tour events. They don't want to have events the week before major championships. And they want to run from February to September. Well, now there's only like, all those caveats, there's only like 16 weeks that you can put your 14 events in all over the world, um, which is going to also be a lot of – I mean, of course, they can pull it off, but like the logistics of this are going to be difficult for next year. Yeah, and I, w- I would expect that. It is only their second year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think it would be reasonable if you were just looking at this like – you take all of the buzz and all the conversation we've had out of this and you just look at a startup and, and predict the challenges a startup will go through. 
this is certainly one of them. So um, they're finding their place is something that'll it'll take time if they're able to do it at all. It just it's it's going to take time. Um, but I I do think that they'll be able to manage a schedule. It's just I tell you the the twenty elevated events for the PGA Tour um, definitely makes it a lot harder on Live if you're trying to avoid those events. So yeah, it's a it's it'll be a challenge for them. Okay. Well, we shall see. Any final thoughts on Live slash Bermuda before we get out? Do you have a Do you have a list, Rick, of the uh, most likely to go to Live next? I was trying to find it. I, I couldn't couldn't find anything. I didn't know if you had anything handy. <laughs> you, uh, do you think like an actual physical list or one that's just off the top of my head? <clears throat> no, like no, not off the top of your. I don't. I'm not trying to get you to make odds off the top of your head. Just <laughs> I, I didn't. I don't know if there was like some. Uh, book that had put out like you know how they did with cam smith is two to one to go to or whatever um, hold on i can i'm gonna look at the one book that i think could have this um but and i'll see otherwise is, is there anybody i mean mark you said this earlier is there anybody greg that you know we heard uh, being out there this summer it's like i heard every name yeah like like literally like every name was spoken about as, as it relates to live but is there anybody right now other than like a like an Adam Scott or somebody like that, that's in that sort of age range of guys that go and and demographic Australians, you know the, that type of thing. But is there is there anybody else that you're like, I'm kind of worried about him? Well, I've seen these reports come out recently uh, about Xander and Cantlay. They're apparently apparently those rumors in Miami are swirling. Is that trustworthy at all? Uh, I don't know. And then the other two were uh, Mito and Thomas Peters, who were also Thomas I, Peters. I some That's re- interesting. Rumors of that swirling. But again, I, I mean, I go back to the same point, which is at the centerpiece of this business, any professional sports business, they operate on viewers um, in whatever platform that is. And And I don't know if any of those four names if they all go or they all don't, I, I don't know if that really turns the tide of, of viewership in any way. No. Yeah, I agree. It, I don't, it doesn't, the tide is, is I think farther from turning than maybe live would like you would have liked you to believe like a month ago. Yeah. The one thing it would do for them is it would help the, if you want to call it propaganda, in their advertisements, right? The fight against official world golf rankings it strengthens those things, I guess. But it feels like all those kind of arguments and conversations are falling a little, they're kind of falling a little flat. Buzz, the buzz and the interest has just gone down. The players are removing themselves from the lawsuit, for Pete's sake. Every time I turn around, there's one other player. Yeah. I don't want any more part of this. Yeah. It's- yeah. Well, if you're a player on the tour now, you know, I think the tour's done a much better job of, again, going back and looking at what happened this year. The tour's done a better job of guaranteeing money to its, the players that make the tour the money, right through the PIP. Which yeah. it was easy. It is easy to make fun of the PIP, but it, it's a vehicle for guaranteeing money to players that deserve it, right? And the tour need uh, needed and needs that vehicle like that they need to have that because you can't go into season saying hey that guy that's responsible for 40 percent of our revenue every year is guaranteed zero dollars that's an insane business model there's no business on earth that would ever do that and so i i think with how much they've uh dipped into their reserves and all these different things it it just it seems a little less compelling now to go over to live when it's so messy uh, than it did maybe eight months ago. Yes, yes. I'm going to put my prognostication hat on. Prognostic- Is that a word? No, I just made it up. <laughs> you're going to have a sweet event down in Mexico. Then it's Houston, I think it is. Then it's RSM. Davis Love is going to be forefront. He's going to get the mic in front of his face. He's going to stand up as one of the tour's elder statesmen, uh, Ryder Cup captain, Prisons Cup captain, go, hey, guys, you guys know where your bread's buttered on, Palmer said. So week thereafter, Tiger Woods is hosting in Hero, I think is how the schedule goes. Tiger's going to do the same thing. Then it's going to be football over Christmas. Then it's going to be Hawaii a couple of weeks. 
We're going to see yep. some of the best. And then it's going to be Tory Pines finishing on a Saturday because of AFC football on a Sunday. And the tour is going to come out shining like a rose because then you've got that West Coast swing and all of the best players are going to be playing because you've got Tory Pines, you've got uh, Phoenix, which is now an elevated event, and you've got LA. So three of the four, the big events, you've got the stars showing up in the West Coast. I mean, what more do you want? You heard it here I love first. it. I love there it. You go. Phoenix, which is also where the Super Bowl is going to be. And it is going to be – yeah. that's one of these years where it lines up, where you get the uh, eclipse. I wish they would make that or at least some of those other West Coast Saturday. I love the Saturday finish. I think I think it's phenomenal. I love it too. That one Sunday was the best thing ever. I think <laughs> it's great. Everything until the Super Bowl should be – like everything in the fall should run Wednesday to Saturday. Sure. Yeah. Started. You the who's the commissioner, Kyle? Aren't you the commissioner? Uh, yeah, I've got a I got a lot of sway at the PGA Tour headquarters. <laughs> yeah. All right, gents. Absolute blast. Uh, we'll be back next week to watch Victor Hovland go for not one, not two, but three Mayakoba championships in a row. Colin Morikawa is in the field. Scotty Scheffler is in the field. Tony now is in the field. Taylor Montgomery, next best thing in the uh-huh. field. Uh, so we'll have all that coverage for you. DFS show on Monday, make a preview pod on Tuesday, Sunday recap. But for now, big thanks. Producer Troy does all the hard work behind the scenes. Mark Immelman available at Mark underscore Immelman. Greg Ducharme, the real GFD and Kyle Porter at Kyle Porter CBS. You can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut. We'll catch you next time.